Hey folks, Al Martin here from Making Data Simple. This rebroadcast is part of our new weekly series we're launching. We'll do this on Fridays. Uh, we're trying to go back and listen to some of the great conversations we've had that are not either current in our libraries or too far down the queue. So we're trying to bring them back um, so that they don't get lost. Thank you, and um, please continue listening. We enjoy having you. Listening to Making Data Simple, where we make the world of data effortless, relevant, and yes, even fun. Welcome to the series of Making Data Simple. What, what I've done is I've commandeered the Analytics Insight podcast and pivoted to more of my interests, being the simple notion of Again, making data simple. My name's Al Martin. I'm an executive at IBM in the analytics space. I hold responsibility for data, appliances, uh, content. Uh, so essentially databases, content management, data movement. Uh, and those disciplines uh, include development, DevOps support on both private and public cloud. But all that really means is that I have a deeply rooted interest in all things data. And you know, it's often said, maybe it's a cliche, that data is now the world's most valuable natural resource. I buy into that notion. Uh, I think, you know, untapped, it's, it's no different than crude oil with little value, but mined with insights and, and data-driven decisions, I do think it will change the world. So while I'm very proud of what IBM has done and continues to do in this space, check it out. And if you'd like to reach out to me separately, we, I'd love to talk to you about it. This is really a podcast, not about selling or a series within a podcast that's not about selling. It's about views and uh, experience, uh, you know, that I'll, I'll, I'll provide and my guests will provide in terms of, you know, just elements of the industry that around data that I, I find interesting and all around making it, it simple because I think it's a complex situation that we need to make simple. Uh, so for me, there is a, a selfish motivation in, in doing this podcast, and that is to use my network to meet with experts in the industry and, and simply learn. So uh, the other thing I'll say is what got me here is that I am a podcast junkie. <laughs> I don't like to waste any time of the day. I like to learn, and if there's any idle time, I'll fill it with a podcast, a video cast, a TED Talk, something of that nature. Making data simple has a wide aperture. Um, I want to start with why data matters, how data is relevant to every aspect of both our professional and personal life. I want to explore the client experience and dynamics around clients, both cloud, private cloud. I want to look at challenges like real-time insight, personalization, visualization, mobile. Good news is, is I've got a topic with almost endless possibilities. And the title just came very clear to me again because uh, of making all the complexity uh, very simple and fun for everyone to to listen and enjoy. Um, so look, I'll provide all views and knowledge based on my experience. No question is off limits. I'm not afraid of admitting what I don't know. Uh, in fact, that's why I'm here. And uh, again, the objective is to have fun and stay within scope. I consider myself a, a problem solver by nature. Uh, so I, I think I want to start with a problem here and I can work over the next coming podcast or series of, of podcasts to find a solution. And I'm going to start with the big data problem. You know, what it is, why should I care? Why should you care? And, and, and how do we solve it? Uh, today I've asked a guest speaker 
uh, Daniel Hernandez to come and uh, and chat with us. Hey, Daniel, how are you? How you doing, Al? <laughs> I'm doing I'm doing well. Hey, Dan, what do your friends call you, Dan or Daniel? Uh, actually, my friends call me Danny. <laughs> Danny. All right. Well, I'm calling you Danny because I'm a you friend. You never expected that one, did you? <laughs> <laughs> I did expect that one. Uh, so Dan, Danny, Daniel is a is a fellow IBMer. He's he's an exec who leads offering management in the analytics space. He's also, as I know, I'm a student of data analytics, and he's always researching and devising solutions built on data. Sometimes to to my exhaustion because uh, I implement some of those technologies. So that's a poor intro. I'll let you give it give it a minute in terms of your your role or day to day role, uh, Dan, and, and your interests. Yeah. Uh, so um, maybe the best way to say it is. You know, my, I feel like my job in offering management is to build the stuff that I need in order to do my job. So happens that my job is one where data and uh, using data in order to derive insights is um, kind of the essential part of what we do. So um, basically trying to build stuff that I would want to dog food is ultimately the, the job that my team and I have in short. Very nice. So here's what I'll do. I'll start with a few questions. Uh, hopefully it'll help drive a conversation and we'll just see where it goes. Sweet. So um, the definition of big data, it's really kind of old news, but what do you see the definition of big data and what are the problems that exist today? Well, to be honest, I actually do not like the word uh, big data or the phrase big data because it, it's somewhat of a mis uh, misnomer in my mind. I mean, essentially what it applies is unless you have a huge amount of data that there's no value. And we know that it's not true. I mean, think about decisions you're making today and the information that you need in order to make that decision, it's often the stuff that might be on your desktop. It might be stuff that is, you know, a few tuples inside of a table in a database that you've got and not big data. Um, so the association that big data has with size, uh, I think is wrong, to be honest. And so at least in the way that I think about it and the way that we've designed our products and our portfolio and have taken it to market, it's around, it's around the scope of the data available to you that matters most. So depending on your question, whether it's, for instance, um, are my clients satisfied? That might be information that is available to you through a small amount of data instead of NPS, but it's the kind of data that typically is not stored in your traditional operational databases. And to me, that, that is a more important attribute um, of big data than the size attribute of big data. Um, so it's any and all data you need in order, in order to make decisions. It's kind of what I view big data to be. Stuff well, in spreadsheets, stuff on email, stuff in documents. It's everything. Well, that leads to two questions that I have for you. One is, well, so did big data just come about because of the advent of Hadoop? I mean, do you look at it from, I mean, before that, I don't know that I, I heard that definition or, arise. And is it a problem or is it, is it uh, is an opportunity? Yeah, I, so I actually don't know, to be honest, where the, where the word came from. I think I'm, I'm in the camp of Al here where I started hearing it whenever Hadoop really started to emerge. Um, I do think that there needed to be um, a way to distinguish it from other forms of data. I think it's unfortunate we chose big data to reflect it because we have, we have data that fits that classification that I offer, which is any and all data that offers value that typically uh, is is not the stuff that you would see inside of databases. But it also includes stuff like our content management systems, which for many of our customers in every industry actually have been storing and capturing for years. 
The big challenge is there hadn't been effective ways to get at it. And so what I do think the focus on big data has done is drive attention to data that often is not accessible to everyday users as part of their everyday decision-making and force us to reckon with, well, how do you make it accessible? Which, you know, if you consider, for instance, parts of our portfolio like Watson Explorer, which is in part focused on search, uh, that's what it's designed to do is to help you find stuff that you typically wouldn't find in your traditional systems. Um, but I still think that that's, that, that remains generally a challenge for a lot of our clients today uh, that largely in many cases is, is unaddressed. I don't have uh, any op- opposition to, to big data in and of itself in terms of the term, but I, I, I've always struggled with the academic definition that it came out with, if you recall, it was the V's started out with uh, several V's, volume, velocity, variety. I don't know that, and I think it grew to like seven, uh, seven or eight V's. <laughs> Is that right? I don't know that it made any, yeah, it, it didn't, it wasn't meaningful to me. Yeah. To me, it was more about, and I think this is what you're alluding to, is more about analytics, insights, and then the real interest, you know, as we progress into machine learning. I mean, that, that's, that's where I thought big data would lend itself to. But in terms of what you're talking about, here's the question I have for you now. So does this imply that we have conquered structured data and now it's off to the unstructured world? What would you consider rows inside of a file that happen to be stored in Parquet in HDFS or a file system? That's structured data that happens to be in an unstructured format inside of a file system. And that's where a lot of information is being captured today. Uh, clickstream data, which will help you understand who's using your products, how they're using your products and whatnot often stored that way. And tell me the tools that you have at your disposal that allow you to tap into it. There aren't as many as you need. So no, I don't think that we're at end of job in helping people make use of the data in structured forms because there are more structured forms that are emerging. There are not enough ways for us to tackle uh, problems like data discovery for the traditional forms. Let me give you an example, right? So you and I spend a lot of time worried about our customers. We spend a lot of time with our own customers. How often do you hear things like, well, you know, I bought all these, I bought into self-service analytics. I helped people take advantage of tools that allow them to do data discovery and charting and whatnot. But the biggest problem that I've got is I don't have an effective way to help them find the information that they need in order for those tools to be that useful. Or maybe, you know, they can, they can, it's easy for them to get at the data, but there aren't appropriate controls around who has access to what data and as a consequence, is locked off for them inside of those tools. So, no, absolutely not. I think there's a major governance issue on the structured data side, which is what I'm referring to in, uh, when I refer to the data discovery problem. Um, I think that there's a access issue in terms of new emerging structured data types uh, that are not in your classic RDMS, uh, relational database. Uh, so, no, I, 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 don't think, I don't think we're done by any stretch. You're right. I visit a lot of clients and, and I'll tell you what, most of the clients I visit today still don't know where to start. Yep. Uh, and most of them I walk in, they have ML aspirations and we're talking about ML and then we start talking about the maturity curve and it's back to spending money to save money, more about cost reduction, more about operations, more yep. about yep. what they're, they're still trying to get to the data lake when we're talking data science and, and, and bigger things like that. So uh, I'm with you from that perspective. So where does Hadoop play? Where does it come in? Uh, it's another way for you to, to use commodity hardware to store data um, and to take advantage of the open source innovation to make that happen. 
whether it's HBase, Hive, uh, HDFS, which is a file system, um, you know, it, the advantage that it confers is, you know, outside of commodity hardware, you know, there's a large ecosystem of providers that are offering tools in and around Hadoop to manage the information, to govern it, to integrate data into it, um, to do data profiling quality. We have to be the premier vendor there, but uh, because it's it's open, our clients have and are afforded a, a bevy of choices that are unlike um, traditional and sometimes proprietary systems. So um, Hadoop, at the end, helps you store more information on commodity hardware and take advantage of an ecosystem of providers that have rallied around it. So it's quite powerful. What about Spark? You know, Spark, from an IBM standpoint, at least uh, all the products and technologies that I'm driving, boy, we damn near put Spark and have embedded Spark into every one of those technologies. Why do you yep. see that as the strategy? Um, it's a similar thing, right? So what are the characteristics of Spark that we like? Uh, first, you've got incredibly fast data processing because of the in-memory model. It takes advantage of distributed compute. So, you know, basically it lets you scale and do data processing at a level that is unrivaled, certainly in some cases. And because it's open source, you get the benefit from the ecosystem of providers that are building tools and offerings and solutions around it. Uh, so, you know, what, what, what I particularly like about it is that it allows you to deal with the data access problem. So aside from the doing data processing, including running machine learning uh, pipelines, for instance, on data, uh, there's a federation of data access benefit that we particularly like from it. So about it. So um, let's say you got data in a analytical warehouse. Let's call it DB2 warehouse. You've got your operational uh, data, call it DB2. Um, you've got clickstream data in uh, HDFS on Parquet. Spark lets you basically run data processing across all of it, indifferent of where it is, using a standard programming model. Um, the last thing I'll say about Spark and part of the reason why we're excited about it is, you know, it allows you to run classic batch operations on your data. So um, do customer segmentation on my data that happens to be spread across multiple databases, for instance. Uh, but it also helps you do um, the same kind of data processing on data that's trickling in through, let's say, Kafka, for instance. Mm -hmm. So not exactly real time, but near real time or mini batch is probably a more accurate way to describe it. And that affords you uh, a lot of options in terms of addressing use cases that you otherwise couldn't had you been forced to do batch only. Well, certainly I'm a, a database guy in nature. And, and the thing I like about it is Sparks, you know, it allows queries to be run very, very fast. Uh, yep. Obviously, the speed of access to, to RAM is, what, six times faster than disk. And so with memory so cheap, uh, it makes a great case for Spark. I'm with you. How about open source in this whole gamut of things? Um it gives customers choice. It's kind of the bottom line. There's more that many can do than a few can do. In other words, if we were still in a world where the only innovation was coming out of tech providers and their R&D shops, I don't think we'd have, um, you know, topics like self-service analytics, which is around liberating data to anyone that would want it, getting as much traction as possible. Uh, from a vendor standpoint, where, you know, from IBM, it helps us focus our resources. Instead of 100% focus on plumbing and infrastructure, we're able to map to, okay, well, how do we deliver business outcomes that matter for our customers? And how do we deliver that by bridging the gap between what's necessary for that customer to get that benefit and what's offered by open source? That could be 
you know, fanatical support that we deliver from our uh, customer success and support teams, um, or it can be through tools, runtime solutions. We build on top of that, that, you know, basically are benefiting from all prior art and open source. Um, so huge fan, I especially like what's happening in the spark space and machine learning space for sure. So back to where we started in terms of the problem, the way I see the problems today are, you know, I think there's a, you know, data. We have a storage problem. We have an insights problem. We have a machine learning opportunity. And in terms of managing the whole data ecosystem from ingestion to storage, to governance, to analytics, to visualizations, um, to your point when, you know, look, we, we haven't solved in my mind the, the structured or unstructured data within all of those uh, areas. Well, we've got a lot to do yet. Requiring solutions for all those. You see it the same way? Oh, yeah. That's exactly right. I was listening to a podcast the other day, and the, the way they summarize big data or data is big apps on top of big compute on top of uh, big data. Is that also the way you think of it? I didn't get my mind around that. Yeah, for sure. Because it, um, and, and for what purpose, I would say, would be the way to put that in a nice little bow. Well, then, and then a UI that covers all, up all the mess and makes it look pretty, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Simple and easy. Hey, uh, so let's, let's go into a little speed round. I like to end each podcast to, to get to know you a little bit. If you don't mind, I'll ask a, a few questions off the cuff. Just give me your answer. It'll only take a minute. You got it. So first of all, I think you're from, from Austin, and you must be weird. In, in Austin, the, what is it, where every, everything's weird, what's the saying? Keep Austin weird. Yeah, something like that. You yeah. are from Austin, right? Um, <laughs> what are you currently reading today? Oh, um, I just actually reread Accidental Empires, which was, um, there was a PBS documentary called Triumph of the Nerds uh, that uh, I, I had just started programming. I, it was in part my Bible. Um, so I, read, I reread the book. Um, that was pretty fun to reread it. Uh, he's dissing on Microsoft all day long. So uh, I thought that was a little bit of fun. He said some not so nice things about IBM either, but uh, I thought it was a good history. history book. Um, there was a, I'm also working on a book called, uh, actually I just finished it on a plane ride yesterday. It's Dealers of Lightning. Uh, and that's about the uh, park innovation. And actually, you know, it describes the personalities behind it and also debunks a few myths like they never made any money. Uh, so two books, highly encouraged, quick reads, definitely worth it. So wait, wait, Accidental Empires, I've, heard, I've got that one. And the other one was Dealers uh, of Lightning? Dealers of Lightning. Oh, I haven't heard of that one. All yeah. right, it's on awesome. my list. Number one role model. Oh, um, I've had many actually um, throughout my career. It turns out one of them who I got to start with, his name was Brian Armstrong. He, uh, I was a kid basically uh, putting up boxes and he hired me to be a system administrator for this company called EXE. Uh, he was a role model for a long time uh, for me when I was growing up um, programming. Actually, I wasn't a programmer to start. I was a system admin to start. He gave me my first break in tech, not my first programming break. Um, and it turns out he joined IBM in software a couple of months ago as an executive there. So that was certainly one. Um, you're one of my role models for customer success. Like, I don't think that there's, I'm serious, man. Like I got religion on making clients happy. Um, and I think your decision-making and focus on, 
you know, basically, you know, fanatical support is something I got alert, you know, totally, um, I'm subscribing to you, man. I'm trying to be like you for sure. Many, many thanks, man. That's that, that means a lot. So, uh, great. This is the tough one. And then I got one easy one. Greatest professional fear. Oh, uh, for a long time, I never wanted to look stupid, which like, um, I realized there was no chance in hell. <laughs> that, would be, <laughs> oh, that would be something that I would be successful at. So I kind of got over the, that fear factor. And now I just like, I go for it all the time. So I accept I'm going to be stupid. And it actually turns out it's professionally beneficial because if you ask a lot of what are perceived to be dumb questions in your brain, it often is the same stuff everyone else is fearful to ask, but isn't asking, you know, in, in their day to day. And it, it turns out to be quite a useful tool. I'm kind of driven by fear all the time, to be honest. Like, I fear I'm scared of everything. And, you know, it's part of the reason why I walk around with a chip on my shoulder. I study more than I probably need. Um, it's fuel, I guess. You and me both, man. I'll give you the last word, Daniel. You got anything else? And then I'll sign off. What got you fascinated with big data? What got me fascinated? I'm, I'm kind of like you. I'm not so fascinated with big data. I'm, I'm more fascinated with data uh, in the fact that I think it'll change the world. I know that sounds kind of geeky, but I, I think it will. When, when you put that data together, you're able to find trends. We're using, able to use augmented intelligence, machine learning. I think it's going to transform uh, the healthcare industry. I think it's going to transform um, just the way we go about our, our day-to-day. I don't even think we've touched IoT, to be honest with you. I travel all over the world, and every, every building I've been, you know, I go in, I hear about all these smart buildings and I don't know that I've been through one true end to end smart building yet. So I, I, it just interests me in terms of what the, the opportunities are. I think it's huge. That's so awesome. let's, let's talk about the application inside of your team. I think the stuff that you're doing super awesome. MPS um, and how it's changing the way that we're going about it. I consider that, you know, I wouldn't consider it a, a quote unquote big data use case, but I do consider it a data use case as per our definition. Say a little bit more on how that's impacting our day-to-day and the way of work. I think it's a great one to hear. Well, I, th- I think it's, t- to me, MPS, uh, that being, you know, surveying your customers. And the, by the way, there's more than just support. You survey it through offering management. Sales has a survey. Um, I think survey in and of itself is just a survey. I mean, I've been doing this a long time. And, you know, there's nothing special about it. And sometimes customers you know, uh, you know, when they get upset, that's when you're, you'll, you'll get to, to really hear their wrath, if, if you will. But I think the magic is in really taking the time to investigate, you know, what they're saying and listen. And you can find a ton of great nuggets about how to better your business. And I think you not only look at the things that are going uh, negative, I think everybody, you know, always wants to look at and say, hey, what did they say? Well, you know, where are we messing up? And uh, I think the, you know, it's equally as important to look at what you're doing well. And we can't forget about that. So we can accentuate our strengths and minimize our weakness. Yep. Um, so I think that cadence, just to make sure that you're on that and recognize there's always a customer at the other end. I think that that drives good behavior and, and you know, client sat is everything, right? I think the, uh, one of the reasons why I like that as a, as a use case is the data just tells you what your customers are thinking. But 
if you ignore it, nothing's going to change. And so the entire way of work around what you do with that data and how you're going to respond to the feedback you're getting both positively, positively and negatively is the difference maker. Um, and we often, especially as technologists, we, we just try to focus on, well, you know, let's give the data and let's present it in the right way and not so much necessarily on how it's going to be consumed and how it's going to be, how it's ultimately going to be infused in the decision-making that drives the different outcome. In this case, making clients happy or solving problems that are getting in the way. Um, so totally agree. All right. Last question for you, Al. All right. Hit me. Why is Texas barbecue the best barbecue on the planet? <laughs> I, I think you're mistaken. So I, I thought you were one of the smartest guys I knew, and now it's going downhill to, to, to end the podcast. Kansas City, by and large, number one, and then uh, you know maybe Texas is a second or third. I give you a second or third. That you're happy with that, aren't you? I would pick Memphis barbecue over the stuff uh, that you guys have over there. You're you're hurting me right now. <laughs> this, this, whose idea was to invite you on the first podcast? <laughs> all right, Kate, let's, uh, let's edit out all that bad stuff about the Texas barbecue for sure. <laughs> all right. Hey, thank you for, for joining us today. You're great, man. Share it with your friends, colleagues, mother, whoever. Check out the show notes. And you can find me here or on Twitter. I'm at, at amartin underscore V. Thanks for listening to the Making Data Simple podcast, where we make data fun. Be sure to visit ibmbigdatahub.com forward slash podcasts to access the show notes and uncover even more great episodes. Remember, the views expressed here are those of the host and its guests and do not necessarily represent the views of IBM. Until next time, over and out. Oh.